Well, hello, Mountain. I'm really glad you're with us this weekend. A special hello to our friends at the Bel Air campus and at the Edgewood campus and here at the Mountain Road campus where we're recording from. Uh, we have been spending some deliberate time this summer thinking about what it would look like in our lives if we could simplify a little bit, simplify our lives so that we can just live more fully, more freely, more beautifully like Jesus was probably talking about when he said that I've come to give you life to the full. If we're honest, a lot of us have been saying, you know, instead of how Jesus describes it, the truth is my life is just full of anxiety and full of stress and my calendar is full and I'm full of headaches and I'm full with everything else and some of us are full of other stuff as well. Uh, rather than living life to the full when we're just full, that's really different. It kind of reminds me of this, this picture. Maybe you can relate. Look at, look at all these complex signs. I mean, look at that. They keep adding signs and trying to figure out what in the world is going on. It's a, you don't know whether you're trying to get to the interstate or go camping or stop by the hospital or not turn right on red. And if your life has ever felt a little bit like that picture, it's time to simplify, isn't it? And so what a welcome gift this is. I, I hope you have found the first uh, couple of weeks really helpful and practical as we've talked about streamlining our schedule. We've talked about satisfying, being satisfied with our jobs and our money and work fit and that kind of thing. What we want to do this weekend is go a little bit deeper. We want to probe down inside of us a little bit uh, to some of the, you might call, internal matters. Um, We've really been enjoying uh, the, the small group studies. I hope that you are reading along in the book. If you don't have the book, it's awesome. You'll want to grab it. And the small groups have a study guide. And in the study guide, there's a bit of a poem um, that really talks about this importance of getting past the external things that we might try to organize to the internal clutteredness of the soul. Let me share it with you. It goes like this. It's important to order the externals, to streamline schedules and to stick to a budget and to take pains to sort out our workplace fit. But it's only half the goal. It's important to order the externals, but there's an inner world to unclutter as well. What's true of your inner world today? That place where thoughts and feelings and emotions choose to reside. If we could peek inside, what would we find? Tenderness, gentleness and kindness, or egotism and narcissism and pride? Authenticity, vulnerability and openness, or outright obsession with what other people think? A spirit of grace, of ready forgiveness, or bitterness and stuffed down rage. The externals certainly matter, but the inner world too must be addressed. As soon as we hear words like that, I'm sure there's a part of you that just nods with affirmation saying, this is absolutely correct. And so we want to dive deeper today because if we want to live life, life in a way that's truly simplified, 
we have to pay attention to some deeper things, and we want to focus this weekend on relationships, friendships. Because think about it. If your schedule is all neatly organized, but it never includes time for soul-nurturing friendship and life-giving relationships, building conversations that, and exchanges that, that build you up, then you're not living life to the full. If your budget's all lined up, but you're not investing in friendships and giving to people who are in turn giving to you, then we're going to be missing the mark. And I think we all know just from our own experience, don't we, that when we lose a friend and you're left kind of in that yucky, isolated, alone, empty feeling, that's hard. When, when there's a rift or a breakdown between you and someone important, it stinks, doesn't it? And so when you get caught up in relational drama and, and trauma and your mind is thought as you toss and turn in bed at night about what you're going to do next, that's anything but simple. So let's go internal and see how God's Word can help us take some steps to deepen and strengthen our relationships. That's really the outcome of today. The decluttering of our souls will come through the deepening and the strengthening of our relationships. Now it turns out the Bible has plenty to say about friendships. Um, a lot about it, in fact, about how blessed and rich we are, how beautiful life becomes when we have the gift. Friendship is a gift from God because it mirrors in certain ways the intimacy we have with God. In fact, Jesus, when he came among us, he said in John 15, 15, I've called you friends. I call you friends. So the way that Jesus relates to us, think of it, his grace, his love, his faithfulness, his sacrifice for us. This beautiful, amazing thing that Jesus does for us. Jesus says, has a name. It's called friendship. And it has to, you see how that begins to define or redefine the way we maybe come to think about what friendship really is and looks like from the way we maybe sometimes experience it. Everyone who receives the grace of Jesus can say, I'm a friend of God. In verse 13, Jesus says, no one has greater love than this, than someone would lay down their life for their friends. A friend is someone you love so much that you lay your life down for them. So a lot of us would say, well, I have a whole bunch of casual acquaintances. I have people that, because of the circumstances of my life, where I work, where I go to sports, and where I get around town and go to school, I, I, I would call them friends, but they're at a casual level of acquaintance that you're probably not going to lay your life down for. But Scripture pretty persistently points us beyond that surface level friendliness to something that's deeper like Proverbs 17 that says a friend is one who loves at all times in, I'm in your life I care for you we know each other we're there I love at all times that's different than casual friendship isn't it Proverbs 18.24 says a person with only shallow acquaintances may come to ruin because those friends aren't going to be there to help him but go for friends who stick closer than a brother or sister, even tighter than family bonds. And the Bible's always doing that. It's saying, you know, the closest thing most of us can imagine is the, is the bloodlines, right? Family. We're family. And in the scriptural perspective, when God enters the picture in a friendship, that bond of friendship actually goes deeper than family bonds. Old Testament, Jesus himself talked about this all the time. Now, let's just take a look at a couple of friendships, and as we do, you think about your own life. Think about uh, getting ready to do an audit of that internal part of your life where friendships reside. In the Old Testament, there's an example of Naomi. 
Her husband dies, and her two um, sons die as well. And a woman in that culture, that meant you were kind of free-floating and didn't have a place to plug in. So normally what a woman would do in that situation, like Naomi, who had left her hometown to go live in this new place, her husband dies and her sons die, what she would normally do is say, well, I guess it's time for me to leave Moab and go back to Judah where all my family is. But her daughter-in-law, who was married to one of her sons, whose name is Ruth, says, no, Naomi, you belong here with me. Don't you go anywhere. I want you right here with me. Ruth was married to one of Naomi's sons. And she's saying, we're together not just because we happen to be in-laws. We're friends. And not just any kind of friend, Naomi. You've been in my life in such a way, and I've been in your life in such a way. And then she says these words that are actually like a promise. They sound almost like a marriage vow. That's how deep this friendship is. And it shows us what friendship looks like. Listen to these powerful words from Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. She says, Naomi, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Naomi, we're friends. And when you use the word friend like that, it doesn't mean I used to know that gal or we used to work together or for a while, you know, we, we rode the subway sometimes at the same time. When you hear words like that, does it make you look inside and ask yourself, do you have a friend like that? Someone you could say that to. In the Old Testament, David did. David, the king of Israel, before he was that, he was uh, a young man who struck up a close friendship with Jonathan. They began as kind of fellow warriors. That's how a lot of guy friendships start. Out on the field, doing stuff together, shooting stuff and having fun. Out there, doing stuff. But then it grew to a very close friendship. It says in 1 Samuel 18 that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. That's a beautiful expression of friendship, isn't it? When your soul gets knit to somebody. Here are guys, macho warrior marine guys saying, man, my soul's knit to this guy. They made a covenant together. And when they knew they were seeing each other for the last time, the Bible says that they just hung on to each other and wept because they were so distressed, weeping over a friend that you're not going to see again. That's, that's pretty deep. Like Jesus did when his friend Lazarus died. Jesus had a lot of acquaintances, but he pulled in that into around him an inner core of 12 guys, and then within that, three, and then another three friends, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and when his friend Lazarus died, he wept. When recently, uh, a few weeks back, when, when Ethan and Betsy Magnus said, man, we think we're supposed to go do this other assignment at First Christian in Johnson City, when Ethan and I just had a moment alone, we just talked about it and we just wept. We just hugged each other and cried because we knew it was the right thing, but hard, and there was a certain way in which our souls were knit together. We're talking about friends who mean so much that it would leave you like that. 
And you know, let's be honest, in our fast-paced world, it's hard to slow down because, and, and make friends like that sometimes. We're just kind of always flying by, fast-paced. In our high-tech world, we're not very high-touch sometimes. In our transient culture, with people moving around, it's hard to sometimes stick around long enough to do a deep dive or we worry, will they be here? Will I be around? And so we just kind of keep it distant. Or maybe we've been hurt or it's just a shallow culture where we just kind of, it's not always easy to know how to be vulnerable or to, to, to say you want friendship. You don't want to be thought you're a jerk or a dork or strange. And it can leave a lot of us feeling pretty isolated. And there's a lot of data and research saying that a lot of us are more lonely than ever. Most guys say today... Uh, I don't have even one really close friend, no, no David or Jonathan in my life. And most, most women would say, I, I would gladly exchange some of my, my Pinterest and LinkedIn contacts and friends on Facebook for one Naomi and Ruth kind of relationship. And yet, not everybody is starved for friendships. I was recently with a group of mountain people asking them ways that they had experienced the deep love of God. Just what do you want to talk about where you've experienced the deep love of God? And you know what so many of them told about was, well, that time when we wound up in the hospital and our small group walked through the door at 10 o'clock at night and they stayed around that bedside and they prayed with us and we were so touched and moved and they, with tears would say what that meant to them because they had poured into some friends and relationships that had meant so much to them and it turned out to be a way that they experienced the love of God. When we had that accident, when my mother died and there at the funeral were my friends. When they came by the house, when they sent the cards, when they texted, when they called, when, when they, they brought food, when we had the baby and someone came and cleaned our oven and let our dog out, when, when our house had a little fire, we had some place to go. We had friends bringing us clothing. When I had the spat with my spouse and was so upset, I'm driving around at 11.30 at night, I had a number in my phone to call. These are all true stories of mountain people who've said that despite how we're all starved and wounded and isolated, there is the possibility of finding some real friendships that abide and maintain. And we're so grateful for that, that there is hope that even people like us can find what the book of Acts describes when it says the church was together and they, they weren't perfect people, but they struggled together and they lived their lives together. We can have what the Bible means when it says the one another's describe us like they loved one another they, they, though we're all weird they can still love we can serve one another even though we, no one really deserves to be served we can celebrate one another and, and, and we can truly cheer on one another and forgive one another and bear with one another and encourage one another I think all of us are hungry for what the Bible's talking about don't you? I think we're hungry for that kind of relationship like Ruth had with Naomi, David had with, with Jonathan, like Jesus had with Lazarus, like the early church had, like you and I are meant to have if we are going to have what Jesus says, you can have life to the full. But we're not going to get it if all we do is organize our calendars and get our budget right. We've got to go to the internal matters. So let me share with you two bold actions that I believe will radically alter each of our lives. Two bold actions that could really have a huge impact and make a huge difference if you'll do them. Okay? Two actions. Let's start. The first, let's evaluate 
our relationships. Evaluate your relationships. Do a little assessment, an audit of your friendships right now. Kind of just do a check. You know, Jesus, he had like 72 on the outer perimeter that he called and he sent them out. He had an inner core of 12. He had three, Peter, James, and John. He had Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and so forth. What does your friendship kind of deal look like? And as you're looking at this, just realize that it, when we're underdeveloped in our friendships and it's, we're un, it's unattended, uh, it's going to wreak havoc on our lives in a way that we simply won't be able to live a simplified life. This is an important issue. So the two questions we're going to land on under this category here is this. Where do you need to prune, okay, and, and where do you need to pour in? That, those are the two questions we're going to come to. Where do you need to prune and where do you need to pour in? So the, the pruning is, is, is about what, what relationships are, are maybe sucking energy and life out of you that are not very helpful to your soul and, 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 and might need, you might need to do something about them. You might need to create some boundaries. You might need to um, create some distance with friendship right now that is not blessing, helping you, and keeping you on track with God. We've all got only so much bandwidth, relationally speaking, to, to work with. So... If you fill yours with life suckers, uh, it's going to suck you dry. And, and so before you can stack your deck with the right kind of life-giving friendships that will help you be all you can be for yourself, God, and, and, the, and the mission God's given you, you might need to reshuffle the deck. That's what we mean by pruning. We'll come back to that. At the same time, when we say pour in, we're going to get to this, but what would be important for you? What could be important to you in terms of a blessing of a relationship that would be an iron sharpens iron relationship, a David and Jonathan kind of friendship, something that where, where you could pour into and build your inner circle of friends in a way that would also build you in the way that God wants you to. Let's tackle them one at a time. Let's go back to this. Where do you need to prune? This is a tough thing, okay? This is tough because some of us uh, avoid any kind of conflict or, or anything, but we, we just have to be careful about um, just accepting whatever people and circumstances bounce into our lives. That's how things get cluttered and complex. Simplified living to the full is going to require some pruning even in the areas of friendship. I love the book by our author Hybels. <laughs> he talks about how he used to hang out with a high school friend and, and uh, when he did, the old, uh, the old, uh, his dad would say, um, hey boys, watch out who you hang out with after the game because stupid rubs off. Stupid rubs off. And who doesn't know that? Isn't that true? We've all seen that. You hang around, I hung around uh, some guys back in a certain period of my life and they just, they just cussed like it was an art form. It just rolled, the profanity rolled off. It was like this cloud of smoke over them everywhere they went. They weren't necessarily even trying to be gross or crude or profane or coarse, but it just was the way they talked. And I found, guess what I found? That cloud of smoke when I was around them all the time as I was for a while, I began to breathe that same air. And guess what came out of my mouth? And it actually started, I think, to corrupt a little bit of my heart as well. Because guess what? Profanity, coarseness, even something as simple as that rubs off. Stupidity rubs off, so does that. And if you're around people and all they care about is money, that's just they're fixated on it, and that's what they're talking about, thinking about, dreaming about, and working toward. It's going to rub off on you if, that, if you're around them all the time. And if you're around people who are just lust-driven, dudes who are skirt-chasing, or gals who are always reading romance novels and it's all they can think about and talking their husbands down or whatever, those priorities rub off too. People who drink too much and then say stupid stuff. People who use uh, drugs or something in a, in a way that is not helpful 
to them. Uh, um, people who are always mean, people who are divisive, people who are gossips, people who are constantly whining about stuff, people who fudge and stretch the truth, people who are arrogant. Bible says, man, guard your heart. You are responsible for guarding your heart. It's the wellspring of life. So if you want to gush good and beautiful things as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, then don't pollute the spring. Proverbs 13 says, walk with the wise, you become wise. Wise rubs off. But a companion of fools will find himself hurt. And of course we've seen that so many times. Someone say, oh, I was doing so good, you know, I was in a small group, I was coming to church, I was close to the Lord or whatever, and I started hanging out with this guy or that gal. For long, I was kind of doing this and that. I kind of had to drop out of that and drop out of these other good things. And now I'm just doing, you know, I'm just really messed up now. My life's all, it's like, I've heard it many, many times as a pastor, I'll tell you. So look at your circle of friends. Look at that inner, outer ring and then that inner ring and ask yourself on the inner ring, are there those that might need to be pruned? Now, here, now let's be really clear about something. If you're a follower of Christ... Chances are he's put someone who's pretty crude, profane, far from God in your life. And the main reason that friend is there is for you to have an influence on them. So we're, we're not, we can't, the answer cannot be to pull away and isolate ourselves and go into some holy huddle. Scripture is so clear, man. You've got to live on mission. Church doesn't happen in these four walls. It happens out there where, guess what? Really messed up people live. And some of them, the only way we're going to reach them is by really being a real friend. So reach out, be influence, be light, pray, invite them to your group, invite them to go to coffee, invite them to serve somewhere, second Saturday serve, care for them, befriend them, meet their needs, but listen, don't be a fool, keep your guard up, also, don't kid yourself, the person who was on mission, as much as any other human being to walk the planet was the Apostle Paul. And he's the guy who says you're not going to reach anyone if your own soul is polluted by those you're just hanging around and letting them rub off on you. That's what he means in 1 Corinthians 15. This is missionary Paul who's saying go reach everybody, rub off on everybody. But you know what else he says? 1 Corinthians 15, he says be careful because bad company corrupts good morals. It's going to have an impact on you. So don't let your inner circle friends be people that are dominated by negative traits, arrogance, pride, divisiveness, stirring up trouble. Don't think it won't affect you. As we've said before, million dollar quote right here. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You know, it works the other way. If you're around people that have a kind of internal, what would Jesus do as they go about life attitude? That rubs off on you. When you have people who have a way of once in a while, like, you know, like it says in the Bible, they, they, they don't want me to quote it, cause, but they remember the gist of it and they're bringing Scripture into everyday life. Guess what? That rubs off on you too. When you have people that just generally have learned to have their ego and their temper kind of brought down a notch and shaped by Jesus and so their interactions kind of come out a certain way that's smoother and gentler and kinder, that rubs off too. When you have people that really care and ache about reaching lost people, that rubs off. Attitudes rub off. All, every, everything rubs off. So, as you look at your inner circle, do you know yet? Where do you need to prune? When 
when you, when you cut up rose bushes, you know, we've got one rose bush. I, I'm like the worst rose bush grower in the world because I have a hard time pruning. I forget about it and I just think, well, it all's growing. It looks really good. But the one time we pruned, you take the little snippers, right? And you're taking good buds. They look pretty good. I mean, they're not awesome, but they're buds and they could become something maybe, you think. But what you need to do, if you're smart, is nip it off. Nip it. Right there in the bud. <laughs> And off it comes. And you know what happens when you do that? It looks a little bare and empty for a little while. But then the buds that remain are bigger and more beautiful and fuller. Just like we want our friendships to be and like Jesus intends our life to be. So it sounds harsh. But you probably have some friendships that need to be snipped or nipped in the bud so your life can blossom. So you can put more time and energy into healthy, wholesome relationships that will build you up so you can reach more people. Maybe you need to cut back the time you spend with them and that's how you'll prune. Maybe you need to um, just kind of benignly neglect. You're not going to have a big talk and say, I'm not hanging out with you anymore. You're just going to kind of, you know, sl slip away a little bit, stop investing. Don't be unkind. Maybe you do need to have a talk. Our lives are heading different directions. I love you, but it's hard for me to be. You might just find they want to go with you. Maybe you'll stop investing. Maybe you'll create some boundaries, some safe distance, especially if it's family that's involved in this way. Sometimes you just have to create safe boundaries and distance because you can't just extract yourself completely. So maybe it's a hard conversation, I don't know, but if you've got a harmful relationship that's holding you back, you've got friends who call themselves friends, but they're beating you down and it's making it hard for you to, to just get on with your life, uh, the wrong stuff is rubbing off on you and they want to pull you into the same rut you are in, friend, man, guard your heart and uh, do, the, do the pruning thing. Pray for wisdom, do it in kindness, but do it. So we're evaluating our relationships, right? And the first thing we're doing is, is we're just saying, okay, we've well, we got to prune, but what, here's the second part. I'll just touch on this briefly. Not only where do you need to prune, but where, where do you need to pour in? Where do you need to pour into relationships? Because all of us need friends who love you and love God. How many of you got like that? How many friends do you have in your inner circle who love Jesus and love you? How many friends do you have right now who care about what the Spirit is saying and who also care about what you're saying? Where are you going to find friends like that? Well, probably not Hooters on a Friday night just, you know, at the bar. Probably a better shot would be if you want to pour into some relationships, draw up a list of paper of names and, and draw them out and just say, write their names down. Who could be a good friend? Who am I drawn to? Who, who have we already kind of served together in this ministry or whatever? But maybe it's, it's just going to be a small step. Invite them to coffee and just say, just, don't try to put all this pressure on it. We're going to be best friends. No, don't do that. You'll, they'll run for their lives. But, but just reach out. Put it on the calendar. Go to lunch. Join a ministry. You're going to make friends at Mountain. You are. Serve somewhere. And when we keep saying, please, 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 join in a small group, whether this summer or this fall, uh, you know, you, please, just when you do, 
uh, you'll be glad and you'll understand. So please just understand that's why we're saying it, because we want what Jesus wants for us, and that is relationships that are beyond surface level. So where are you pruning? Where are you pouring in? So I said there were two big things. First, we're evaluating our relationships. Here's the second thing, the radical action that can completely transform our lives. And I want to end this with this. And this is seek to repair broken relationships that you have. Seek to repair broken relationships. <clears throat> Allow yourself to move from wounded to whole through the avenue of forgiveness. This is so crucial. You know, in, mil in, mil in the military, if you sign up and you go into a battle, guess what? Bullets are flying and uh, grenades are going off and missiles are landing and some people get wounded. Some of the soldiers in battle get hit and it changes and maims and, and wounds deeply. Some come home just as good as they were when they left. But in real life, there's a kind of battle that goes on relationally and guess what? Everyone gets wounded. Everyone gets hurt relationally, wronged sometimes, victimized, mistreated, left with a betrayal or a heartache or someone that stomped on your feelings. And listen, it's very easy to underestimate the cost of living with a relational drift when, that, when someone does something that hurts and wounds you. It's easy to just blow it off. But listen, nothing will make your life more complex and twisted and confused and energy draining than unresolved wounds in your heart where bitterness is growing, resentment is festering in your brain like a toxic cancer moving in your body, steals your joy, your peace. You will not live a life that is to the full and it certainly won't be simple. You can't live a simplified life without attending to broken relationships. So this is why the example of Jesus is so beautiful and powerful and needed for us. I want to give you a gift today to remind us of what is actually at the center of our faith, right at the heart of the cross which makes up the, the basic core of Christianity and that is forgiveness. We know it intellectually but I think we all struggle with living it out in a way that would set us free. Nobody knows more about being wounded, betrayed, forgotten, neglected, stabbed in the back than Jesus. Nobody. And yet, at that crucial moment of his life, he spoke ten words that change everything. You remember how his life ended after his friends that said, we'll never leave you, left him. How even strong Peter, the so-called rock, looked the other way when Jesus glanced at him during his trial. E e even uh, friends darted away as they dragged him through the streets after being beaten and his beard plucked and his head hit with a stick and a crown of thorns and his robes kind of bloodied from the beating. Uh, all of that as he's, as he's pushed toward the cross where they finally hammer spikes through his hands and feet and hoist him where he dangles like a scarecrow in the sun that he created in that moment looking at the soldiers, his friends, his family and you and me and every single person throughout eons of eternity, Jesus utters these 
unthinkable words. In, in, it comes in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. He trembles with breath. He can barely bring from his collapsing lungs to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And those words change everything. They change everything for you. Everything. Because forgiveness can now come to you and to me. Though we don't deserve it. And though we mess up again and again. We hear the words of Jesus, Father, forgive. And it changes everything for us because now forgiveness, once that grace has filled us, we have some possibility now of forgiveness flowing through us to someone else where the same words would come out of your lips and mine. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is the biggest game changer in human history. And you can tell a lot about a person by what comes out of their mouth, what kind of prayers they pray when they get hurt, stomped on, betrayed, wounded. And what God looks like hanging on a cross, when he gets stomped, betrayed, wounded, he says, Father, forgive. Romans 5 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, forgive. Now, let me leave you with um, something from the book, Simplify, as we try to just get super practical and say, how could I move forward? I'm going to do some pruning. I'm going to do some pouring in. But where I've got relational brokenness, how could I move forward? Let me just give you the categories that our author in the book gives us and a simple step that is actually kind of hard in some cases, but uh, that you could take. So let's wrap up with this. First, he points out that there are different levels of offense. Yes, we all get wounded, but not every wound is equal. Let's admit that. And he says, there's first of all something called category one. These are basically minor offenses. Let's be honest, they're minor. But yet, sometimes we get all bent out of shape, we get all lathered up about something that an outside observer would look at and go, truthfully, what are they all worked up about? It doesn't seem like that big a deal to me. And we just get all the more offended that they don't see how big it is. And we continue to making a mountain out of a molehill, right? So when we get this way where we're just like oh my goodness I can't believe how that person offended me and I play the victim card and I try to convince others about how awful it is kids do it to parents parents do it to kids husbands do it to wives friends do it to friends it happens in the workplace Heibel's answer is the best anecdote anecdote when you see that is for just someone to say to them look them in the eye and say really really you are worked up about that in light of all the problems in this big old world, in light of what's going on in the big scheme of things, you're worried that she said that or he would, didn't invite you to the party. You're worried about that. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love and it's a great reminder when we get all overly aggrandized and full of ourselves and falsely dramatic over these mountains that really are molehills. It's, it just reminds us, you know what? Love is not easily angered. It doesn't get ticked off just like that. It doesn't get highly offended. Someone gave Carla and I the best marriage advice when we were, getting, we were engaged, they said, listen, the best thing you can do, don't make big things out of the little things. Great advice. 
Don't let it grow. And when your ego and pride come in, it's like gasoline on the water, uh, on the fire of a little tiny offense. And then the poor me perspective comes in. Here's what we need to do. The word that you need when you get category one offense in your face, the word you most need is on a sign that you'll see right outside as you're leaving Brooklyn. If you look on high, it's this sign. Go ahead and put it on the screen. Here's the sign. Just forget about it. Let it go. That's a first world problem. That's a speed bump. Don't let it send you into a tailspin. And by the way, while you're forgetting about it, you might want to really ask yourself, if you're going to go interior world on this, ask yourself, why is it that I'm so bugged by something so stupid? Why is it that the energy I'm giving my response is overly dramatic? Here's my advice. And so what I'm trying to do, I'm not always good at it. Instead of looking so hurt, look inside yourself. Instead of looking so hurt at what someone else did, look inside yourself. Because there's something going on with your ego and your expectations that that speed bump sends you into a tailspin. When you make a big thing out of a little thing, it is always a symptom of something else. So put your big boy pants on, your big girl pants on, and look inside yourself instead of pointing the finger at everybody else and just get to work, figure out what it is. Are you tired? Are you grumpy? Are you underslept? Are you, did you get a bad review at work? Are you feeling left out, insecure? Are, are you feeling powered up on? Are you emotionally depleted? But own your stuff. Get things in perspective. Stop taking it out on everybody else because sometimes it's a category one minor offense and the best thing you can do is say, really? Forget about it. Category two is a legitimate wound. And sometimes this just hurts a lot more. It's a bigger deal. This is a, not a minor thing. You've been really betrayed. A spouse betrayed you or was unfaithful. Someone broke confidentiality that just really, really hurts you. Here's the word for you. It's not forget about it. It's forgive. It's this word where instead of seeking revenge and paybacks, you would learn to Get real about what was done. Grieve the loss of what you've really lost. But you know, eventually you're going to need to come around to right where Jesus tells us, and that is forgive. Jesus teaches, and I encourage you to go to the book in Matthew chapter 18. There's a great counsel and advice about how, we, how Jesus commands us to, to handle disagreements and difficulties and wounds. He says, go to a person. Go right away. Go in private. Go to reconcile the relationship. Don't worry about who's right. Worry about getting the relationship right. And go now, the Bible says. Jesus says in Matthew 5, if you're right in the middle of a worship service like the one we're in right now, Music's playing or preacher's preaching and it, Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and makes it clear that there is some unreconciled, unforgiven harboring of bitterness in your spirit toward a brother. You need to get up and step over toes and walk out right now and take care of that. It's more important than the worship service that's going on around you. That's what Jesus says. And if you're hearing me right now and the Holy Spirit's convicting you, maybe you need to get up and leave right now. And if you do, everyone's going to probably just applaud. Or maybe you need to silently reach into your phone, in, into your phone pocket and, and just send a text right now that will set up a meeting or say the words that you need to say, I forgive or I'm sorry. And if, and if you go to someone and you try to reconcile and they just say, forget it, I don't want, you hurt me too bad or I don't want to do that, you know what? You're not stuck with a permanent relationship that's broken. Romans 12 reminds us, if, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. 
You can't control everyone's stuff. You just do your best to keep clean before God. Go alone. Go now. Go urgently and restore the relationship. Category three, I'm only going to touch on because this is those life-shattering injustices. This is the grenade right in your face. Not everybody experiences these, but they're very painful. Some kind of terrible abuse or abandonment or violence perpetrated toward you and other things. On the morning of October 2, 2006, a 32-year-old truck driver named Charlie Roberts entered a tiny one-room schoolhouse filled with Amish children and families in the community of Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, just up the road. You remember. He was heavily armed, and uh, his demand was that the men and boys leave immediately, which they did. And then he lined up the girls in front of the room, and he tied them up, and one by one, he shot them in the head, execution style. And by the time the police were able to get there and storm the place, girls ages 6 to 16, four of them, and eventually a fifth, were dead, and several others wounded, severely injured. One of them was Rosanna King, a little girl, six years old. Her wounds left her in a wheelchair, unable to walk or talk ever again. What we might remember, not only about the tragedy of that event, is that similarly to the Charleston event where another church received terrible thing happened to them, the people in that Christian community decided that the story did not end there. And as well publicized as everything was in the weeks and months that followed, the men and the women and the children from that Nickel Mines Christian community made a point to say we have chosen to forgive Mr. Roberts for what he did. They embraced the parents of the gunman, Chuck and Terry Roberts, who were horrified by what their son had done. And to this day, Chuck and Terry Roberts have loved that family and been loved by them. And little Rosanna King, they go visit her every week. And they read stories together. They spend time together. Now, that is a tragedy that turns to triumph through the power of forgiveness. And when you hear something like that, as Christ followers, when you hear a story like that, I hope part of you just wants to stand up and cheer and say, yes, that can happen. Our chests puff out because that's Christ-likeness at its best. Our hands want to go together and just clap and say, yes, that's what it's about. We applaud it because deep in our souls we know that's what the world looks like when Jesus gets his way and when Christ is supreme but the moment we're wronged that's when the truth is told about what we really believe the moment someone offends us we have an option to choose the path of grace and forgiveness or just brewing and stewing and seeking justice and revenge and wanting someone to pay my friends if some horrible unthinkable thing has happened in your life of a category three I, I just don't even know what to say. There are no words. But whatever you do, don't realize that it won't be quick. And don't let anyone off the hook for legal consequences. You know, but a marriage with adultery can be restored through the power of forgiveness. Even an abused victim can say, I'm not going to let that dominate and define my life. An addict 
who has entered recovery can make amends to people whose life he or she has really hurt. Because God can put a new heart in us just as He did in His Son, Jesus. And see, there's nothing more heartbreaking. The, the, the only thing that would be more heartbreaking than that Amish family seeing their daughters die would be living the rest of their lives enslaved to bitterness. So the word here is freedom. The freedom of Christ. And forgiveness is what brings that freedom. Unforgiveness holds us captive. So if you want to move to the deep place and go from wounded to whole, own the depth of what has happened to you, give it to the Lord, grieve what is lost, but then say yes to the possibility of forgiveness so that the one who said, Father, forgive, could be so alive in you that you would find one day yourself saying the same words. Let me pray. Father, we, um, we thank you for the gift of friendship. Help us to prune and to pour into those that we need to. Show us where we need to forget about it, to forgive, and to be set free. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.